country on earth in shambles. Bill Gates already mapping out the next pandemic. The medical profession by law prevented from telling patients the truth. How do we survive this? Well, we the people stand up and stop taking it. We win at the ballot box and we do that by getting the truth out into public ears. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your warrior at the gate is Dan Newman. Isn't it crazy? Here we are, we're watching all of this stuff just come undone around us, and there's nothing we the people can do about it. It doesn't matter how much we put in play, how good we think we are, we put people in power and how good we think they are. Nothing that we think is the important thing. All that matters is what the end result looks like. And who makes the end result, after all? Well, it's you and me. We're the players in this thing. We're the good. We're the bad. We're the ugly. We're everything. And it's our world, and others are doing everything they can to make it not be our world, but to make it their world. In other words, in their world, they want us to be just little pawns that do nothing but listen to what they tell us to do and then do it. Wow, do I sound bitter this Monday morning. I'm not bitter at all. I'm just trying to be a realist and say good morning to you. Things are sometimes not as they seem to be. We just need to make sure that we're finding out the facts and we're making decisions for our lives. Our lives and the lives of others that are part of our purview. Make them be the best that we can make them be. That's what this is all about. Nothing matters. It doesn't matter how anything looks. All that matters is how everything is. Wow. It's kind of dark, Dan. (laughs) Well, we're beginning another week, and we just need to make sure that we have all the pieces of the puzzle in play, right where they're supposed to be, do the best that we can do, and then all of the other stuff, well, it's just got to fall in line. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all these things will work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. We've got to stick to that. If we stick to that, folks, if we do the best that we can do, do the right thing in everything that we have any say-so over, just do the right stuff. What everybody else, whatever they do, it really doesn't matter. It's a big piece. It's a big puzzle. We just got to do our best. And if they don't do their best, well, it's just going to be what the big picture looks like and all we can affect is our part of the big picture. Wow, welcome to TNN Live, Monday morning. Is this a sad song? (laughs) Yeah, it is. Sometimes life is sad. Sometimes there are a lot of pieces that we can't control. We just got to put them all together and do the best that we can do. 
lost and all alone. I always thought that I could make it on my own, but since you left, I hardly make it through the day. My tears get in the way, and I need you back to stay. I wander through the night and search the world to find the words to make it right. All I want is just the way it used to be. I need you here with me, and I've got to make you see that I'm lost without your love. Life without you isn't worth the trouble of. I'm as helpless as a ship without a wind. Touch without a feel, I can't believe it's real. Someday soon I'll wake, find my heart won't have to And I know there are pieces of our lives we really don't have any control over. Our government has too much power over us. But we've just got to figure out how to put this puzzle together and make it be 
what we want it to be. My good friend from New Mexico said it best, pastor's the biggest church in New Mexico. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. What a great saying. What a truthful thing that we all must learn. If we want everything to be different, if we want anything to be different, whatever we can do within it to make it be what we want it to be and to change it, we've got to change what's in it. Now, we not may have, may not have total say-so about it, but whatever our part that we play or can play in it is not what we want it to be. Let's change it. Let's just get up on the high side of things. Instead of just sitting out there and griping, griping doesn't do any good to anybody other than just to let something be made known. And then let's change stuff. How about let's do that? Well, we're going to start this show today, getting the week going for you. And we're going to tell you about some things that are not very good. But you know what they are? They're facts. Some of these things will slap you in the face today because mainstream media is not talking about them. Whoever you normally listen to is not talking about them. They're making it be what they want it to be and what they want you to think it is. Facts. If they are facts, they live in a vacuum. And all we do here is find them and bring them to you like this. Did you know that President Biden's border chief smuggled more than 100,000 economic migrants into the U.S. from May to December through a hidden parole pathway that they admitted was what they were doing on June 12th, earlier this month? Alejandro Mayorkas, remember this, he's a Cuban-born, equity-above-the-law, business-friendly, pro-migration zealot. He's welcoming another 20,000 migrants this month, next month, the month after that, every month through this parole pathway. Now, what is this all about? Well, Many establishment reporters who cover the migration beat were unwilling or they were unable to describe the covert migration pathway, even though it was exposed in November by Todd Benzman. Benzman's at the CIS, the Center for Immigration Studies. The admissions and data came as Republican officials in 20 states have filed a lawsuit. We told you about this lawsuit. It's against this hidden inflow, using the term in the process called parole. It This uh, process, it illegally heaps additional costs on states and their taxpayers. It also adds to the pocketbook damage done to ordinary Americans by D.C.'s policy. They're importing more of the workers, the renters, the consumers that spike values on Wall Street. Here we go again. What's going on? Follow the money. The New York Times was given an official briefing on this parole pathway. It's been given a legal-sounding jargon-style name, CBP-1. Isn't that a cool name? 
CBP-1, that stands for Customs Border Patrol 1. And they came up with that name, that cool name, to hide what it's really all about. Before January 12th, the CBP-1 process was open only to migrants who were recommended by a government-approved nonprofit organization, which applied on their behalf. From May to December, more than 109,000 migrants entered the United States this way. Now think about that. Every month, every month. And those parole pathway migrants, they're not part of that 1.3 million illegal migrants number that were welcomed by Mayorkas' agency during the fiscal year 2022. These are extra and they're flying below the radar screen. At least they were until we found out what they're doing. Officials are now using the parole pathway to import 20,000 more migrants every month. Now, this is according to the New York Times, that bastion of journalistic integrity, right? (laughs) Now, this Biden inflow delivers a quarter of a million more migrants per year. Despite a 1986 ban on corporate hiring, of illegal workers. Got to find them jobs. Got to have something to attract them to come on in, right? Officials, they recently declared, they told us they're going to use the same parole pathway to import an additional 360,000 migrants every year from these countries, Haiti, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. Together, the two inflows That 240,000 and 350,000, it is on track to add at least 600,000 extra economic migrants every year to our economy. That big labor flow is roughly one extra migrant for every seven Americans who entered the workforce each year. Now, what happens to those jobs that used to belong, formerly belonged to, oh, I don't know, Native Americans, legally immigrated Americans, they get kicked to the curb. Under law set in 1990, Congress caps legal immigration at about one million people per year. One million a year. We, that number, one million a year, legal immigrants coming in here, coming through the legal process, that number, one million a year, is more legal immigrants allowed than any other country in the United States. But wait a minute, there's more than that. It's more than the total number of the legal immigrants that are brought in every year by every other country on earth. And then Alejandro Mayorkas, hey, 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 he's going to add another 600,000 through what's called, I guess, a keyhole, something that he found, a way to keep quiet and do it, and he'll be able to say, oh, this is something, this is a policy that was put in place. It's legal. No, it's not legal. In 2022, Mayorkas also allowed 2 million illegal immigrants through the border, including about 600,000 gotaways who have been told they will not be deported if they don't commit felonies. 
Wow. What a shock for Monday morning, right? <laughs> well, listen, you want the truth? You come here to get the truth, you get the truth. That elite delivered 2022 flood of about 4 million forced down Americans' wages, reduced our high-tech investment in our workplaces. It pushed many older, sicker, and slower Americans out of jobs, wages, and eventually homes while doing what? What's it all doing? Spiking investors' profits and stock values. It's all about the money. Young and middle-aged American men are less likely to be working now than at any time in U.S. history. That's according to a January 2023 study authored by Jonathan Rothwell. The official labor force participation rate for prime-age men fell from 97.1% in 1960 to 88.6% in 2022. That's using data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics' current population survey. But the New York Times doesn't include any criticism of Mayorkas' labor smuggling operation. Instead, the headline and the subheading portray this massive inflow as an apparent reduction in illegal migrants. Yeah, what you do is just put a label on them, stamp them legal, even though they're not legal. This is not anything that Congress you know, we the people's representatives put in place. This was put in place singularly by Alejandro Mayorkas. Biden officials credit new border measures to decline illegal crossings. That's the headline in the New York Times. Crossings by migrants from Cuba. Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Haiti have plummeted, but Republicans and some Democrats have attacked new policies. They make it sound like, hey, Congress is doing everything they can do, but it's those evil Republicans who are attacking this policy that stops many illegals from coming across what they leave out. Is Mayorkas has changed the title of this massive number of immigrants from illegal to legal, and that makes all the numbers look better, right? The Times includes several pro-migration editors, and so the article quotes pro-migration advocates who say the hidden labor pathway is too small. We need to make it even bigger. Immigration advocates, it says, Working with migrants in Mexico and the U.S. say the system leaves the neediest migrants, the ones who don't have smartphones or can't afford to stay in a Mexican hotel with Internet access, puts them at a disadvantage. But, and this is a quote from the New York Times article, CBP-1 is turning out to be as awful as we predicted, one advocacy organization, Al Lado, wrote in a Twitter post on Tuesday, last Tuesday, migrants with resources like a smartphone and Wi-Fi, they're the ones getting appointments, not the most vulnerable. Al Lado has worked with the 
FWD.US Advocacy Group for West Coast Billionaires. Billionaires. Now here we go. Big money. Big corporations. They're the ones that are fueling these NGOs. They're fueling them. They're putting the money out there for all this fake legal immigration to happen. Why is that? They get these illegals into the United States. They give them jobs. They pay them less than they're paying Americans. Follow the money. The fund was created by, guess who? Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, many other wealthy investors who gain from the inflow of this cheap labor, compliant workers, high occupancy renters, and government-aided consumers. The press doesn't ask Mayorkas about the pocketbook impact of his easy migration policies on regular, ordinary Americans. Their handoff approach is similar to that of the establishment GOP, which focuses on border chaos and drug smuggling, rather than the rising rents and the shrinking wages that are imposed by elites on everyday, ordinary Americans. For example, January 8th, not too long ago, right? A White House reporter asked Mayorkas, quote, what is your message to the American public about the impact of a labor shortage in America? Mayorkas, as he always does, he responded, he called for an even greater skew of the nation's labor market in favor of employers and investors. He said the labor shortage in the U.S. is one powerful example of how desperately we need to fix our broken immigration system. You know, we look to the north, to Canada. Canada realized that it has a one million person labor shortage there, and they're bringing in approximately 1.4 million migrants this year to address that labor shortage. Our programs, our H-2A, our H-2B, our skill worker programs are far outdated to really meet the economic needs as well as the economic opportunities for migrants that immigration can provide. Our federal government has long operated an economic policy of extraction migration. This is a colonialism-like policy. It extracts big amounts, numbers, of human resources from other needy countries and uses these imported workers, these imported renters, imported consumers to grow Wall Street and to grow the economy. Oh, that's the term they love to sell or try to sell it to us to just sit up and Shut up and sit down. Don't ask any questions. It's going to be good for the economy. It's going to be great for the economy. In December, last month, for example, Mayorkas added roughly one low-wage, work-ready Latino or Asian migrant for every American who turned 18 that month. Think about that. This migrant inflow has successfully forced down 
Americans' wages. It's also boosted rents and housing prices. The inflow has also pushed many native-born Americans of careers in a wide variety of business sectors, contributed to the rising death rate of poor Americans. This population inflow, it reduces the political clout of native-born Americans, people like you and me, because it allows elites, Zuckerberg and Zuckerberg-like Americans, by the way, including New York Times editors and writers who wrote this story, to divorce themselves from the needs and the interest of all of us poor native-born Americans. We already have everything we need. We need to give everything we have to those poor and needy illegal migrants, those illegal aliens that Alejandro Mayorkas wants to change their title and call them something they're not and just keep bringing them on in very quietly, make them legal. A 54% majority of Americans say Biden is allowing a southern border invasion. That's according to an August 2022 poll commissioned by, guess who? A left-of-center national public radio, NPR. This invasion, 54% invasion majority, included 76% of Republicans, 46% of Independents, and even 40% of Democrats. This 20-state lawsuit against the White House's invented parole pipeline says it's just going to keep growing, and it's going to help us all. Here are the states that together filed this lawsuit. Texas, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming. And who's the suit filed against? The U.S. Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, in his official capacity as Secretary of Homeland Security. Welcome to a brand new week, and welcome to more truths about the Biden administration and the fact that the President of the United States is complicit in it all, and it's against the law. Oh, it's not over there. It's not over there. Joe Biden's administration released over 1,300 criminal illegals in one month, according to recently disclosed statistics. 1,300 immigration officials released 521 convicted criminal aliens, 795 with pending criminal charges in the month of December alone. Now, that number comes from ICE, our own agency, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. 521 convicted criminals, 795 with pending criminal charges. They just let them go in the United States. Where are they? The number of convicted criminal aliens and those with pending charges was up from 58% from the month before, 48% from October. 
Now, these convicted criminals that we're talking about, they're defined as people who violate immigration law. They have a criminal conviction at the time they're taken into custody by ICE. We don't even know what the exact convictions of these people are. It's not detailed. They know, ICE knows, other immigrants have pending criminal charges at the time of their arrest. Most of these releases stem from orders of recognizance or an interim determination that the alien in question is not a detention priority. Others were under orders of supervision. They were released due to a field office being unable to get a travel document or they were put on parole. The latter, the parole, is a case-by-case determination for, quote, urgent humanitarian reasons or significant public benefit enabled by federal law. Here we go. That's that little niche that Alejandro Mayorkas found, and he's shoving all these, in addition to the ones we just told you about, shoving them into that little pocket. The law explicitly requires that those who cross the border illegally be detained. But Biden and his people clearly don't want to detain or deport anybody. So it isn't surprising they're releasing criminals as well. That came from Ron Kovac, press secretary for Federation for American Immigration Reform. Public safety and the rule of law are under attack to advance the Biden radical open borders agenda. Immigration officers told the Washington Times, which first reported on this data, that the releases we're talking about came from wanting to clear our room in preparation for the end of Title 42. That's that public health order that gives authorities the ability to quickly expel some illegal immigrants due to concerns they may have COVID. The Supreme Court, late last month, ordered the administration to keep Title 42 in place. Biden has been fighting to end it since he was elected president. Authorities also released in December more than 28,000 immigrants who violated immigration law but didn't have a criminal conviction or any pending charges beyond their immigration law violation. Another 203 convicted criminals were bonded out or given bond by a judge or a DHS official after a court hearing. Another 91 were bonded out with pending criminal charges. Another 1,414 were bounded out with no conviction or pending charges. Early stats from this month, indicate the numbers might decline a bit from the December levels. These numbers come after the termination of enforcement proceedings against tens of thousands of illegal aliens. Why? Because authorities failed to provide documents telling the immigrants to go to court. What caused this substantial spike in incidences of DHS officials not filing a notice to appear after you took office, and consequently, tens of thousands of immigration cases against illegal aliens being dismissed because of DHS's failure to file paperwork. That's in a letter 
that a group of senators wrote to Alejandro Mayorkas. Illegal immigrant apprehensions and releases have skyrocketed since Joe Biden took office and dramatically remade the U.S. immigration system to make it easier for illegals to get here and to remain here. So what's the law say about all this? Under federal law, U.S. authorities are supposed to hold illegal immigrants until their cases are resolved, resolved according to the law. Many illegal aliens claim asylum, but the claims are ultimately rejected after several years when they finally get to court, but authorities have said they don't have enough space to hold all of those whose cases are awaiting resolution in courts. Federal officials have been using a program called Alternatives to Detention to release hundreds of thousands of aliens. But they even admit they've lost track of a huge percentage of them. They're just floating around. They may be living next door to you or down the street. One power authorities have increasingly turned to, it's called parole. And we told you about parole. Now, the Biden administration has introduced mass parole for Venezuelan natives in the fall last year and just recently expanded it to nationals of three other countries. Cuba being the big one. This program is an abuse of the parole powers according to a lawsuit that we told you about just a few minutes ago. It's way worse than we thought. It's bad. We knew it was bad, but it is way worse than we thought it was. What a way to start your week, right? (laughs) Well, here's what we're all about. Finding you facts. Even bad things, if they're very important to you. And this, my friends, may be the biggest thing that's happened under the Biden administration. And it, on its own, at the behest of President Joe Biden and far leftist Democrats in our government, they are reshaping the face of our nation. They're doing it in your faces, in my face. And they're saying as they smile, there's nothing you can do about it. We are taking unilateral control of the United States of America. Think about that for a minute. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh! Remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those are good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> 
Holidays abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a yurt. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. <laughs> we've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup. Like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone. Or the not-so-compact, compact SUV, the Tiguan. And the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. Hey, if you missed the opening segment in the show, it's very, very important that you get it all. Of course, you can go back and listen to this show after we go off the air at 11 o'clock, but don't wait till then. Go to the homepage of truthnewsnet.org. That story is there. And let me tell you what you need to do. When you get this podcast, when you download it from Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and there are even more that are picking it up. Go there, TNN Live download it, spread it around just for the opening segment to friends that they too have no idea. I didn't before I researched and found this has been happening quietly under Joe Biden's watch. It's been purposeful. And the Democrats in power, they're united behind one cause. What's that cause, Dan? To fill our nation with illegal immigrants at the behest, principally, of big corporations that are using these people. They can pay them less, they'll work more, and it's all about increasing the bottom line of these big corporations. We knew corporations, by their structure, they have to find ways to build the bottom line for their stockholders, and there's only two ways to build the bottom line. Increase your revenue or decrease your cost? What's the primary biggest cost in a company? I'll tell you factually. It's the cost of creating the product, the goods or services that are principally driven by the cost of labor. Drive the cost of labor down. How do you do that? You bring in people, you get them qualified to come here, and you can pay them a lot less to do the same job. They'll work longer than most Native Americans are willing to do. You bring somebody in that is obligated to you and they'll work diligently. They'll do exactly what you tell them to do because you're giving them a free wide on the backs of the American taxpayers. And as long as they can keep it quiet, they can keep it quiet they can get away with it. And so far, they've been doing a darn good job, haven't they? Now, is this the only thing going on? No, 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 not even close. This thing that happened up in Memphis, 
the murder, the slaughter of Tyree Nichols. I'm sure by now everybody's seen at least one or two of those body cam videos that have been posted online that show what those five African-American cops did to that African-American young man. There is no other way to describe it than they murdered him. They slaughtered him. The nation and the city of Memphis, which is a really good city. I love Memphis, Tennessee. Over the weekend, struggled to come to grips with the video that was released showing these five cops pummeling Tyree Nichols. Footage that left a bunch of unanswered questions about what looked like an ordinary traffic stop that involved one black motorist and about other law enforcement officers who just stood by as he laid motionless on the pavement. These disgraced Memphis cops who were also blocked, they've been fired, they've been charged with second-degree murder and other crimes in Nichols' death three days after his arrest. The video released renewed questions about how fatal encounters with law enforcement, they continue even after calls from everybody, everybody on the left, everybody on the right, for calls for change. A spokeswoman for the Memphis police declined to comment on the role played by other officers who showed up at the scene. Memphis Police Director Cyril and C.J. Davis said the other officers are under investigation too. Shelby County Sheriff Floyd Bonner said two deputies have been relieved of duty without pay while their conduct or lack of conduct is being investigated. Nichols' stepfather, Randy Wells, Rodney Wells, he said the family would continue to seek justice and get some more officers arrested. He said several others failed to give aid, making them just as culpable as the officers who threw those blows. Cities nationwide, they had braced for what they thought would be, you know, demonstrations not as bad because after all the cops that killed Tyree were black. Protests were scattered, nonviolent at first. In Memphis alone, several dozen demonstrators blocked I-55, the bridge that carries traffic over the Mississippi River toward Arkansas. Semi-trucks were backed up for miles. Demonstrators at times blocked traffic while chanting slogans, marching through the streets of New York City, L.A., Portland, and Oregon. In Washington, protesters gathered across the street from the White House and near Black Lives Matter Plaza. Memphis, it stays on the edge now. They're waiting for a bomb to explode. Head of the protests, some downtown Memphis businesses boarded up windows. Now the school system canceled all their after-school activities. Memphis Shelby County Schools, which has about 100,000 students, postponed athletic events and extracurricular activities over the weekend. One protester, Christopher Taylor, a Memphis native, he said, I cried to see the officers appearing to be laughing as they stood around the beating. It, there's no other way to describe it. That is, it's one of the most evil things I've ever seen. It's really a bad situation. It's a blight on this nation. 
So over the weekend on Fox and Friends Morning Weekend, Stephen A. Smith, you see him all the time. He's a sports guy primarily, but he's a spokesperson for the black community in many respects. I have a lot of respect for Stephen A. Smith. He went on Fox and Friends Morning and uh, Saturday, and he kind of explained what's going on and how most people in America that are willing to be, oh, I don't know, honest about what they see, what happened in Memphis. And I like how Stephen A. Smith paraphrased everything. All right, back to our top story. Memphis police released the body camera video showing the brutal beating of Tyree Nichols. His mom describes her grief after the death of her son. I felt a lot of pain and discomfort in my stomach. And at the time, I didn't realize what it was. But once I found out, then I just said that was my son's pain that I was feeling. Here to react, the author of a brand new memoir, Straight Shooter, Stephen A. Smith. My friend, it's been a long time. It's been a long time, man. It's good to see you. Good to see you. You know, we were going to have you today to talk about Straight Shooter, and we can touch on it um, a bit later. But in the wake of this incident, in the wake of the video and the protest last night, you were no better guest to hear from this morning than Stephen A. Smith. It was an atrocity. There's no question about it. Um, My heart goes out to Tyree Nichols' family, of course him. Uh, He was tortured. He was beaten. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, second-degree murder doesn't begin to touch on what these officers deserve. They took his life. And as far as I'm concerned, the five officers involved, their life should be taken, meaning they should be in prison for the rest of their lives. I don't know whether that will happen. Of course, we'll let the judicial system reach that conclusion. But what I wanted people to point to remember was that if you're watching these video, and I watched all 66 minutes of it, if you watch the video, With the body cam, there is a point, a significant chunk of time where you can't see what is going on, but you hear the officers screaming, put your hands behind your back and all of this other stuff. They already had him restrained. They already had him in their possession. Then the cam, the surveillance cam from across the street is what caught them. You saw two officers holding him down. You saw another officer come and kick him in the face twice. You saw another officer come out of nowhere and grab the nightstick or the baton, whatever word you want to use, and struck him at least twice. They beat him to death. There is no way around it. And as far as I'm concerned, um, obviously something needs to be done. But I do think it's important to call for peaceful protests and to recognize the fact that the system itself appears to be working the way it always should. They were immediately fired. They were immediately indicted. Okay, the charges have been placed against them and it it, the process has been expedited and it's moved with the quickness. And I'm very happy about that. You know, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. And look, you and I have a long history of having honest disagreement with one another on various serious issues. Absolutely. Um, There is universal agreement. I think right now this is horrific. It's an injustice. And more than that, it's a crime. Yes. When you see this incident, Stephen A., do you see the indictment of a few bad apples in a police department, individuals, or do you see something systemic, a problem here that needs to be addressed at a large I, I definitely think it's systemic, but that doesn't mean that all police officers would do this. The systemic, where the systemic part comes in is the fact that you had five police officers. Nobody stops you. And so what we're looking at, the, of course, there's a few bad apples. Of course, not every police officer would do this. Of course, this is a stain on 
on the men in blue, people who sworn, men and women, people who've sworn to protect and serve. And nobody should castigate them as a group. But as a black man, what you're saying is, is that when this kind of stuff happens, call them out. Because if you're going to stand by and do nothing, you're a part of the problem. If you're somebody that's wearing that blue uniform, you should feel just as bad, if not worse, towards those police officers who did this because they stain you. They really impugn your integrity and what you stand for. And you just, you have to be just as diligent as you expect American citizens and, dare I say, a jury of our peers to be. Black folks put black folks in jail all the time. We do not hesitate. So what we want everybody else to do from different ethnicities, different communities, is to do the same. When you're wrong, you're wrong. Deal with it on that level. Do you see this in any way as an issue of race? Well, I do see it as an issue of race in this regard, in terms of what has happened to the young black man. We don't see this happening to white individuals. Now, if it has happened and we haven't seen it, we haven't seen it. Maybe they need to show us more of that. But the reality of the situation is that when you're talking about unarmed individuals who are getting beat up or brutalized by police officers, they're usually black men in that regard. That's the race issue. But with Freddie Gray in Baltimore, some of those officers were black. It wasn't right. just white officers that did that to Gray, right. to, to, to Freddie Gray. There were black officers, too. I'm talking about race from a victim's perspective. Right. The victims are usually black, unarmed males. When that, when that issue happens, when it's black, unarmed, when it's unarmed males, it's usually young black males that this happens to. And how do you explain that? Well, I think that from a systemic perspective, we think about the way uh, black folks in this in, in this country are the, the kind of messages that are disseminated to the masses about us, how we're depicted plays a role. And obviously that doesn't mean that there is some legitimacy to it on a case by case basis. But the important or words broader are, statistics, when an officer goes into an involvement, right. he understands as well the neighborhood I'm in, the that's prevalence right. for the crime that exactly. could be committed. So a lot of that's playing into it plays into it all. And right. we understand that. But at the end of the day, that's why training comes into play. Mm -hmm. That's why see, I've never been a, a, a proponent of defunding the police. Absolutely not. As far as I'm concerned, throw more money into, into law enforcement, except, you know, you do that so they can receive the proper training and to make sure they know how to navigate their way through the all of this. Just like Dan Bangino said when he came on a bit earlier, you're not trained to do what we saw transpire. No. Those are guys that are rogue. Highlight those individuals, but if you're a part of the, the police force and you've been trained and you know to do better, then part of your obligation is to stop your contemporaries, your colleagues from engaging in such heinous acts. The fact that nobody stopped it. We had just, just, just the five officers that were arrested. What about the other officers who came to the scene? They did nothing. They did nothing. What about the EMT workers? They, they, you came 10 minutes later. You were slow to address the concerns that were clearly obvious. So w when you see stuff like that happens, there's something systemic to it. I'm not an expert. I'm not going to pretend to be. So I'm not going to go any further than that. But I'm looking at what I'm what most American people are looking at today. We're appalled. It's a heinous act. As far as I'm concerned, it should have been first degree murder charges. And who's to say that's not going to happen down the road? They tortured and beat this kid to death. They have got to pay. They have got to pay. I agree with Stephen A. Smith. Now, I can't look at the world through the prism of Stephen A. Smith's perspective. I just can't do it. I'm not black, nor can he look at the world through my perspective, my prism. But that doesn't matter. Wrong 
is wrong, and it doesn't matter the skin color of the perpetrators. When you beat somebody to death, when you take their life, even if this young man was guilty of that traffic stop infraction that they allegedly say he played, even if he did, nothing that he did warranted being beaten to death. Forget about skin color. What's at stake here? What's really going on? Listen closely to what I'm about to tell you, and we're going to move on. Five, at least five, probably more, but five Memphis police officers committed the most heinous, the most evil act that one can ever do to another human being. They beat him to death. They didn't shoot him in the head. They beat him to death. He laid in the hospital for three days before he died. That, my friends, the trouble, the thing we're dealing with, they're dealing with in Memphis, in this case, it's not racism. It's evil. Now listen to me, what I'm about to tell you. Evil people do evil things. And evil people must be stopped from doing evil things. We need to get out of this environment of putting a label on everybody's head and just trying to put them in these categories. We need to watch what people do. There are a lot of people in the Memphis Police Department, I can tell you, they knew what these men were all about. This wasn't just a new happening. These five men were were purposely put in and part of a special unit. It's called SCRAP, Scorpion Unit. They're the ones that are behind Tyrese Nicola, his killing. The cops there say they're permanently abolishing the Scorpion Unit after these five cops were involved in that traffic stop murder. Now, what was this unit all about? Supposedly an elite unit. It was created to combat soaring violent crime. That sounds like a logical, feasible thing to do. Have specialists in the area of attacking violent crime in one city. But critics say its aggressive tactics and its lack of oversight were just a recipe for tragedies like this beating, fatal beating of Tyree. The decision came after Memphis cops Cyril and C.J. Davis met with members of the unit Saturday to discuss the path forward for the department and the community in the aftermath of the tragic death of Tyree Nichols. And so the cops, they came to a conclusion. It's in the best interest of all to permanently deactivate the Scorpion unit. Others of the Scorpion officers agreed unreservedly with the decision. How did this even happen? How was it allowed? So let me read you the official public statement about the deactivation of the Scorpion unit. Here we go. Today, Memphis police officers assigned to the Scorpion unit 
That stands for Street Crimes Operations to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. They met with the chief, C.J. Davis, to discuss the path forward for the department and the community in the aftermath of the tragic death of Tyree Nichols. In the process of listening intently to the family of Tyree Nichols, community leaders, and the uninvolved officers who have done quality work in their assignments, it's in the best interest of all to permanently deactivate the Scorpion unit. The officers currently assigned to the unit agree unreservedly with this next step. While the heinous actions of a few cast a cloud of dishonor on the title Scorpion, it's imperative that we, the Memphis Police Department, take proactive steps in the healing process for all impacted. It finished, the statement was finished with this with this particular statement. The Memphis Police Department remains committed to serving our community and taking every measure possible to rebuild the trust that has been negatively affected by the death of Mr. Tyree Nichols. We're going to move on, but let me just say this. This didn't exist in a vacuum. This didn't just suddenly happen. This Scorpion unit, it's been in operation for years. There are people in the police force, and obviously there are people in the Memphis public that have watched some of these actions of at least these five officers in the in the uh, Scorpion unit, the way they've been operating among the public over the past years. It didn't just happen. It's been growing and growing and growing. And poor Tyree Nichols and his family, he had to be the one to pay the price to get this evil group dismantled. Tell you what, the people of Memphis, their government in Memphis, they better have a big insurance policy because there are going to be some lawsuits. There'll be some probably filed this week. Civil rights attorney Ben Crump, he's representing the Nichols families. When he gets involved, an African American specialist attorney for incidents like this, somebody's going to pay a lot of money. But money won't bring Tyree back. This is so sad. It's just a shame that we live in a nation where this is kind of allowed. This kind of stuff, this kind of thinking is okay with people in law enforcement. The obvious answer is, of course it's not okay. Well, maybe it is because... This kind of stuff there at the Scorpion unit, it didn't just happen. There are, I promise you, if they'll dig in and look into the history of these men in this group, there have been other incidents of violence perpetrated by these guys. They've gotten away with it. No accountability. And Tyree Nichols gets beat to death, and that's finally the thing that caused somebody to say, well, we thought the... This unit was bad, but maybe we'll just go ahead and dismantle it. Yeah, but it took the death of Tyree Nichols to do it. We're going to move on. What are we going to talk about next? Ron Klain, the chief of staff in the Biden White House, he's leaving. It's interesting. Ron Klain, who we never see, he stays in the background, not like most other 
presidential chiefs of staff in the history that come out and they talk to the media a lot. Ron Klain, I haven't seen a single interview with him. I know he's done a few, but I haven't. So what's going on there? I always ask that question. When something pops up that doesn't have an immediate explanation, it makes you say, hmm. Well, we're going to let you hear some of the stuff that Ron Klain has had to say about his tenure in the Biden administration. Get set. You're going to laugh a bit. I promise you. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. Before we get back right at it, I don't want to forget tomorrow, Steve Baker will be joining us. Steve Baker is, he's out in the investigative field again, where he goes and he comes back in every Tuesday to join us, to bring us the latest. He is an investigative reporter and investigative journalist. He's got his nose and a whole lot of things that are important that many of are kept hidden until somebody like Steve ferrets out facts that we need to know. So he'll be with us in our second hour tomorrow at TNN Live. You don't want to miss that. So what about Ron Klain? Well, he is Joe Biden's chief of staff, and he's leaving. And on his way out, it just seemed like late last week, he uh, he felt like it was incumbent upon him to make some things known that happened on his watch as the chief of staff in the Biden administration. So he took to, of course, network channels like MSNBC. He was on Deadline, White House. And he had a few things to say, talking about the Biden administration. Klain said that the president has had a record of impressive achievement and accomplishment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this information as Ron Klain laid it out there. Don't throw up. And don't laugh while you're listening to this. Biden has a record of impressive achievement and accomplishment, including the fact that he managed the largest land war in Europe since Truman and passed the largest climate change bill in America's history. Klain said, quote, I'm very proud of what the president's been able to get done here. He's passed the most significant economic plan since FDR. He managed the largest land war in Europe since Truman, 
passed the second largest health care bill since LBJ, got more judges confirmed in his first year than any president since JFK, passed the largest climate change bill in history, and managed to pass the most significant gun control legislation since President Clinton. That's a historic record. He did it all while tackling a public health crisis worse than any president since Woodrow Wilson has faced, and with the narrowest legislative majority in the Congress of any Democratic president in a hundred years. So I think it's a record for the ages. I think it's a record of impressive achievement and accomplishment, and I think it's been done under some very difficult circumstances. Now, i got to be honest with you. After listening to what he had to say, hmm, it just makes me think we need to get ready for another face to be put up on Mount Rushmore. And it would be the face of President Joe Biden, according to Ron Klain. Joe Biden and his administration have made it a perfect nation, the United States of America, and our perfection here. It's just spilled over in the Biden administration, and it's just fixed everything in Europe. They're not at war anymore in Europe. Well, wait a minute. Isn't there that Ukrainian war that happened while Joe was president? Well, that wasn't his fault. It wasn't his responsibility. And, of course, what he's doing over there, he's fixing, he's giving Vladimir Zelensky, all the money and equipment and everything that he needs to beat Vladimir Putin. So again, once again, Joe Biden is the savior of the world. Well, I know this will probably surprise you, but there are others, some others in media actually, that disagree with White House Chief of Staff, outgoing White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain. Oh, yes, Joe Biden painting a rosy picture of the economy. Unfortunately, it's not true. Uh, Wages are not growing faster than inflation right now. Take a look at the data. Wages are up 4.5%. Inflation is up 6.5%. So inflation is still cutting into our ability to spend and save. We are continuing to see large companies resort to mass layoffs as well to offset near record high inflation. Joining me right now is Strategic Wealth Partner CEO Mark Tepper. Mark, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. What is your assessment of the macro story as Joe Biden tries to paint a positive picture of this uh, really uh, (laughs) steep inflation that is still pretty elevated. It's still a problem. And despite the rhetoric you hear from Joe Biden, the economy is softening and someone's going to have to tell him when you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And it just seems like they're too busy, you know, popping champagne bottles, trying to celebrate the fact that, yes, we're past peak inflation. But that core PCE number is still 4.4 percent, which is still double the mandate and the sticky components of inflation, wages, rent, food. That's all still running sky high. And for him to take a victory lap on this 2.9% GDP number, most investors don't understand how that number is actually calculated. So that is actually the quarter over quarter number times four. It's annualized. So you have the third quarter versus the fourth quarter. You multiply it by four. 
What we really need to look at is the year-over-year number. No one talks about that number. And that's how every other country looks at GDP growth. And fourth quarter of 22 versus fourth quarter of 21 was only up 0.9%, President Biden. 0.9, not 2.9. And that's down from 1.9% the previous quarter. So that is a completely different story. We are slowing down. And I'm expecting, Maria, the next three quarters of GDP prints to actually be negative. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there's a debate on uh, how severe the recession will be, not necessarily if there will be a recession. But, Mark, what's going on with these markets and how are you allocating capital right now? Look at what's happening. The backdrop is clearly a slowdown in the economy. Uh, The backdrop includes major corporations from, you know, Meta and IBM to Dow Chemical cutting jobs. And yet the market is up. We're talking about potentially one of the best months since Last July, uh, for some of the averages, the Nasdaq double-digit 10% year-to-date. Why are we seeing this big pop in stocks, and are you buying into it? So it's very interesting, and, and it's super strange. It seems like every single day we're hearing about these big companies cutting headcount, and we're not talking support staff, Maria. We've talked about this before. I mean, Microsoft is cutting software engineers, which are mission-critical people, and anyone who's ever run a business before knows that when you have key talent, You keep those people no matter what. You do everything you can to keep them. So, you know, that's certainly not good for the economy. And it shouldn't be positive for these stocks. I think investors, investors want to look at everything through rose-colored glasses right now. You know, and they want to look at this as a positive because costs are coming down. Maybe earnings go up. But but the reason you're, you're seeing key employees getting cut is because demand is waning. And, and, you know, my personal perspective on this is, you know, you want to stay defensive right now. One of the things we've seen happening recently is consumers, while still spending, we know they're kind of, you know, leaning on their credit cards and things like that, but they are trading down. So that whole trade down effect is happening. And I think if you can identify defensive companies that allow you to participate in that trade down effect, like as an example of BJ's Wholesale Club, right, where you can go and yeah. buy a bunch of groceries in bulk, right? So those are the kind of opportunities I think okay. uh, investors should hide out in right now. Mark, give me a word about the week ahead. It's going to be a busy one. Not only do we have a two-day Federal Reserve meeting Tuesday and Wednesday where we're going to get a Fed hike in rates, either 50 basis points or 25 basis points, but you've got the majors in tech reporting earnings, Apple, Amazon, um, you know, Google Parent, Alphabet, all reporting in the week ahead. What's most important? Most important is guidance coming out of these companies. I mean, you know, the Fed, look, I think the Fed is going to hike higher and longer than most people are anticipating right now. So that's certainly an important story. But when we look at the stock market, earnings estimates for this year, for 2023, are still way too high. So the most important thing that that we can kind of read into is what these big tech CEOs and CFOs are saying on their earnings calls about what they foresee happening the rest of this year. Earnings Mm. estimates are still way too high. I think analysts are pricing in like 4% earnings growth this year. I think it's more likely we see negative 10%. So that's what we'll keep our eyes on. Wow, that's a big negative number. Mark, it's great to talk with you. Thanks so much. So you got a little different perspective there than you heard from what Ron Klain had to say. Now Biden's former chief of staff. And you heard Maria talking to that financial expert there, and they were just kind of pushing around, not coming up with any real answers of why are these 
mid-level management experts being shelled by these major corporations. Well, what did we start the show with today? We told you that Alejandro Mayorkas has devised a program in cahoots with people like Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, big corporations, and they need these IT experts, and they can get them from overseas, but they can't get them in quickly. And so Mayorkas and company have created this new process where they can do just that. They get them in, but what they're not doing is putting them in the legal process, and so their jobs aren't being reported, the ones that they're filling from these mid-level management people that are leaving because their jobs have been eliminated. What those people were doing in these major corporations didn't get eliminated. The people that were there, they're being replaced in large part by these immigrants that are coming into the United States in the hundreds of thousands that bring snuck in by Alejandro Mayorkas. Hey, if it quacks and waddles, it's always a duck. Nothing exists in a vacuum on its own. Anything that anybody does, anything that you do, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. There are reasons for it, though everybody around you may not know. And then, of course, there are the after effects of what you do. Nothing exists in a vacuum. No action does. And sadly, that's what's playing out in our nation's economy. And there's going to be a bust. There's going to be a big bomb that happens. Well, brand new week. We're about to start a brand new month. February's a big month for us. Marianne's birthday is on the 4th. Valentine's Day is February 14th. That comes around every year on the same day, right? That's when we express our love for our significant others. And it's a double big day for me because that's the day in 1975 Marianne and I got married. Boy, did we create something big. (laughs) We could go on and on about that. I'm certainly not going to do it. But February is going to be a big month. And I'm glad, I'm really glad that I've got 47 years 47 years, about to be 48, with the love of my life. And I know Marianne's listening, and I want to say thank you for the ride. Thanks for coming and letting me be part of your ride in life. We've gotten together, and we created three wonderful children. They created six wonderful grandchildren for us, and we've got a really good life. I'm thankful. From top to bottom, I'm blessed. And I want to thank God, and I want to thank Marianne for that. What else is happening? Well, there's something going on in response to this Roe v. Wade opinion that rolled out a couple of months ago from the Supreme Court, doing away with Roe v. Wade at the federal level. And I can't imagine it ever being more egregious, the response to that, than the legislature of Minnesota, the state legislature. What am I talking about? After 15 hours a very contentious debate up there. The Minnesota Senate passed legislation early Saturday morning. And why is it a big deal? Well, it guarantees the right to abortion. 
It guarantees it at the state level. A bill pro-life Republicans have called the most extreme in the nation. It's called the PRO Act, P-R-O, the Protect Reproductive Options Act. It passed in the Minnesota State Senate 34 to 33 after Republicans had unsuccessfully tried to amend the bill 35 times. What's in the bill? It states that every individual has a fundamental right to make autonomous decisions about the individual's own reproductive health. Democrats up there had fast-tracked the legislation in response to the U.S. Supreme Court's decision last summer to overturn Roe v. Wade. That ends the federal protections for abortion. While the right to abortion was previously guaranteed in a 95 decision by the Minnesota Supreme Court, Doe v. Gomez, abortion rights activist and Democrat, said the PRO Act is necessary to codify abortion rights into state law as well as rights to contraception, fertility treatment, and pregnancy. What Minnesotans are afraid of is to see potentially that what happened at the federal level with our Supreme Court could eventually, in some future time, happen here in Minnesota. That was said by the bill's sponsor, State Senator Jennifer McEwen, a Democrat from Duluth. The decisions of our courts, the upholding of our fundamental human rights, are only as strong as the judges who uphold them. Supporters of the bill say it will not change the status quo in Minnesota. Well, if it's not going to change anything, why have it? That's just somebody from the Deep South throwing that idea out there. (laughs) They tell us the PRO Act solidifies Minnesotans' human rights into state law and is an insurance policy that our rights won't be taken away by politicians or judges. That's according to Dr. Sarah Traxler, who's the chief medical officer at Planned Parenthood. (laughs) Who would think they wouldn't have their noses in anything to do with codifying a law regarding abortion. All I want, and doctors across Minnesota want, is to provide the best care we can to our patients. And by passing the PRO Act into state law, the Minnesota legislature will allow us to do just that, she added. Well, well, well. You know it was just a matter of time. They made it very clear when Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, it did not outlaw anywhere in the United States abortion. It just made it illegal based upon federal law. There is no federal law that guarantees a right to abortion. And so that's why Minnesota's legislature and governor who said this will be signed into law probably tomorrow, that's why they had to do that. Due this morning, after 15 hours of debate, the Minnesota Senate passed the Protect Reproductive Options Act overnight, which will guarantee Minnesotans the right to abortions. The measure now on its way to the governor's desk for a signature after the Senate voted 34 to 33 to pass it. That was along party lines. That vote taking place about 3.20 this morning after the long debate started around noon Friday. Minnesota already protects abortion under a three-decades-old state Supreme Court ruling, but Democrats see a law as a backstop in case the court ever reverses itself. God forbid that could happen here in our state against our values, but we do not know what the future holds. 
And those changes can happen, as we have seen at the federal level, very quickly. Republicans view the measure as extreme because it doesn't have new restrictions on when an abortion can happen. What it really is, it's abortion on demand for all. That's what it is. Minnesota is the first state to take legislative action to protect abortion post-Roe. Governor Walz plans to sign the bill early next week. There you go. That's from the media up in Minnesota that have a closer look than you or I did. We could sit here all day and do the pro-life, pro-choice conversation, but everybody knows where they stand on it. Everybody does. And it just boils down to this. Nobody can credibly say, nobody can biologically say that when you abort a quote-unquote fetus, you're not killing somebody. Nobody can claim that credibly. You heard the term I put in there, credibly, because... Nobody knows biologically for sure when life begins. And I've always made this point. It boils down to this for me. Six inches, maybe even just three inches, marks the difference in that argument. That's the length of the woman's birth canal, three to six inches. That is the determining thing in the abortion it's right in their minds between killing a human and just doing away with a bunch of tissue. And that's sad. Wouldn't you think that a prudent person would look at that as a possibility of killing someone? Would look at that and say, if I'm going to come down on one side of this discussion, this argument, I'm going to come down on the side of letting that human being live because we don't know for certain that human being was biologically a human or not. I'll never, I'll never understand how anybody reconciles doing that. I just won't get it. They can say, and they have, and I've listened ad nauseum through my entire adult life about the excuses that are given to justify abortion. You can't make it seem realistic in life circumstances. You can't do it, but you can do it in Minnesota now. No holds barred. Go for it. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. Somebody that has really gotten active, at least in media circles over the last couple of years that I really like a lot, former CIA director and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He also, before all of that, He was in Congress as a legislator for the state of Kansas. So Friday and again over the weekend, Pompeo sounded off about Adam Schiff's griping after the prominent Democrat, which he is, Adam Schiff, was formally removed from his seat on the House Intelligence Committee. Now, Schiff had been on that committee for a long, long time. He as a congressman, represented a, uh, and I forget the number, the district in California, but he'd just been rolled over again and again and again out there. New House Speaker, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy removed Schiff, and Schiff's fellow California representative Eric Swalwell from the committee this past Tuesday, specifically doing so, pointing to Schiff's 
repeated lies to the public. And McCarthy also removed Representative Ilhan Omar, Democrat of Minnesota, from the Foreign Affairs Committee. Mike Pompeo, he took particular issue with Adam Schiff, and he argued, did Pompeo, that he should be, Schiff should be nowhere near classified information. Now, let me say this. This is not a guy giving his opinion based upon just his opinion. Mike Pompeo was the CIA director when Adam Schiff was doing all this crazy stuff on the House Intelligence Committee. Here's what Pompeo said. Adam Schiff lied to the American people. Pompeo said, during my time as CIA director and Secretary of State, I know that Schiff leaked classified information that had been provided to him because he was the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Pompeo told panelists in this show that he was on that Schiff nearly ruined the committee while he was serving as chair. Last week in a press conference, the ousted Democrats called their removal an act of revenge and an unfair smear. Pompeo said Schiff couldn't be trusted on the committee. When we provided information to him and his staff, it ended up in places it shouldn't have been with alarming regularity. This is Pompeo explaining it. In the end, I decided I held back information from them as a result. Now think about that. He was Secretary of State. He was CIA Director. The legislative entity, that part of our, uh, of our government, that branch of our government, is charged to be the oversight of other people in the federal government. That would include the House, that would include the House Intelligence Committee, and Pompeo was saying as director of the CIA, which he was, and as Secretary of State, which he was for Donald Trump, he withheld information from that committee, intelligence, classified information, because Schiff was leaking it. That's a horrible thing for somebody to have to say. But you and I, we've talked about it for a couple of years over and over again. Adam Schiff leaked information. And also he lied over and over again about numerous things. You remember? I have uncontroverted facts, evidence that Donald Trump was elected by Vladimir Putin and Russia. (laughs) That was back in 2016. He maintained that for four years. He never gave anybody the evidence, and he never gave it to the Intelligence Committee members of which he was was part of. Pompeo explained that House members have a responsibility to protect sensitive information and an obligation to keep it in the right places. Schiff, Pompeo pointed out, chose instead to spread unfounded political talking points. Now, what would those be? What I just told you. He said that over and every Sunday, every Sunday, any of the Sunday morning talk shows that would have Adam Schiff on, the mainstream ones would ask almost every time, are you certain that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to be elected? And Schiff would say, oh, I have uncontroverted evidence 
that that happened. You would think if it really happened, and especially in light of the fact that the House, they impeached Donald Trump twice, and he never gave the evidence to his own committee. (laughs) If there had been any evidence, you know, and I know, everybody knows he would have put it out there because he wanted to get rid of Donald Trump probably worse than Nancy Pelosi did. Pompeo said, I watched the House Intelligence Committee under the leadership of Adam Schiff. I watched him denigrate and lower its ability to actually perform its function. When he was out talking about the Russia hoax, going on to say that the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, knowing that it almost certainly was not, that's indecent and dangerous, and it affects every American. Wow. We've got another big one out here. Something that Republicans in the House are about to launch into. What could that be? We haven't talked about it. But it has to do with COVID-19. Uh-oh. Are we going back in time? Are we going to resurrect something and try to beat it and beat it and beat it and get the American people to believe that members of the Biden administration, also members of the Trump administration, Medical professionals were lying to us. Stick around. That's up next. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. In what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here are the smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... Jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one on me. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. 
In the clown car of the deep state, you will never find a greater den of scum and villainy. You need a hero. Here again, blaster in hand, is Dan Newman. I really don't understand what that blaster could be that's in my hand. I guess it's the truth. Hey, what a novel idea. We talk about our government. We talk about all things to do with our society. And we find facts. Who would think that we would need somebody in the media other than the real media? You know, the likes of ABC, CBS, NBC News, MSNBC, CNN. Why would we need Truth News Network? It's because those people that comprise those networks that I just gave you the names of, they're out there doing things that aren't about giving you and I the truth. They're giving us a painted perspective of their own that feeds into the politicization of the other side of our government, the ones that want the government to be totally in charge of everything. So we still, we still have a huge amount of uncertainty about everything that went on in the COVID-19 pandemic. And everything's been blocked for four years, two years, more than two years. Why is that? Because under the Biden administration, we got a Democrat in the White House. We have a Democrat-led House of Representatives and a Democrat-led Senate. So they just did everything in total disregard to the opposing views. Why did they do that? Because they could. So now some Republican senators led by Roger Marshall of Kansas have reintroduced legislation that bans the feds from funding, here we go again, gain-of-function research. So the ones that are for this, they argue that gain-of-function research, which is intended to make a virus more transmissible or deadly, that doing this gain-of-function research that does that can help scientists predict and prevent future pandemics. Chinese scientists were conducting gain-of-function research on bat-based coronavirus in that infamous Wuhan Institute of Virology, where many speculate COVID-19 emerged from. And U.S. taxpayer dollars were sent to that lab through a Department of Health and Human Services subgrant and many members of Congress believe the feds should reinstate a ban on funding the practice. I got to be honest with you. I just gave you the reasons that they give for needing gain of function research. I can't, I can't in any way think that it's feasible to take a virus and purposely make it more transmissible and deadly. And I know they tell us there's a reason for it, but I just don't get it. I still don't, and I'm not stupid. And I've heard all of their reasoning, but it makes no sense to me. Why? Because of what happened. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people died because this coronavirus, it was made more deadly, and it got loose. So this bill filed by Marshall prohibits the federal government from giving funds to any institutions of higher education or any other research institutes that are conducting gain-of-function research. 
Remember, Barack Obama banned the federal government from funding gain-of-function research back in 2014, and for some reason Donald Trump lifted it in 2017. For the past few years, a select group of individuals at the National Institutes of Health, that's Anthony Fauci's crew, and other feds, have undermined congressional oversight instead of being transparent or accountable to the American people. This is from Marshall. This has hampered our ability to get to the bottom of the COVID-19 outbreak and gain a full understanding of how much taxpayers are subsidizing these dangerous activities. This new GAO report further bolsters the need to address NIH's failure in executing its oversight responsibility of federally funded research. Until the oversight process is reformed and adequate guidelines are in place to protect all of us from dangerous outbreaks, we must not allow this research to to continue. Now, WIV has received more, that's the Wuhan Institute of Virology, has received more than 600000 in U.S. taxpayer dollars through a subgrant from the NIAID. What is that? That's NIAID. That's a branch of the National Institutes of Health, and it's directed by Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci gave this money, this 600000 and we know it's more than that. He gave it in a grant to the nonprofit group Eco Health Alliance. So Anthony Fauci, you'll know, he was hammered in Congress. Did we fund gain of function? And he he just said it again and again. No, we did not. Well, we didn't give the money. We did not write a check to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where we all know gain of function research on coronavirus was being done. And technically, by the word of law that defines a lie, Fauci did not lie. The United States didn't write a $600,000 check to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. He wrote the check to Eco-Alliance, who turned around and wrote the check to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Isn't that slick? So congressional Republicans, isn't it insane? It's just absolutely unacceptable, incorrigible that anybody, Anthony Fauci or anybody else, can unilaterally bypass the structure of law and find loopholes to conduct illegal activity, trying to somehow make it okay because it's kind of like, you know, when you're sitting in the living room and the phone in the kitchen rings, your wife answers the phone, And she says, it's for you, it's so-and-so. And And you say, tell them I'm not here. Well, you and I both know that's a lie. So she tells them, I'm sorry he's not here, can I have him call you back? Okay, she hangs up and said, why did you make me lie? And you said, well, I really wasn't right here. You were over there in the kitchen, I'm way over here. So I really wasn't right there, so it wasn't a lie. That's exactly the same correlative that we're talking about here. Congressional Republicans have pledged to investigate our grant disbursement along with the origins of the COVID-19 virus. 
Minority Report situated in the last Congress by Republicans in both the House and Senate found that the virus is likely to have leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, although the reports emphasize congressional investigators could not be certain of COVID-19's origin. Ohio Representative Mike Turner, now the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, accused intelligence officials in December of stonewalling a committee investigation. Why would they do that? We've got to keep it quiet. We've got to keep it quiet. And that's what they're doing. So let me tell you what we're going to do next. We're going to introduce you to the Biden energy official, his energy department head. And with everything going on in our energy sector, when we have all of this craziness, this massive commitment by Democrats in Congress, others in the far left, and of course the White House, to push us away from fossil fuel energy, which everybody that's realistic knows it cannot be done. The United States cannot exist and still keep any small element of our economy, keep it in place if we don't use fossil fuel energy. The green energy lie, it's still a lie. We can't exist on it. It doesn't work. Biden's new energy department director? Well, he may think a little bit different from that. Welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Hi, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Okay, get in the McDonald's. Ooh, can I get a... Uh, can I get a... Yeah, can uh, I get a... Go, Bubba, go! Can I get a... Uh, 10-piece chicken McNuggets. And what sauce would you like with that? Uh... Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle? Snuggle. Snuggle. I am so out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one.
tuning in live for real credible financial information. We often go to Larry Kudlow. He's a real economist. I mean, he has immersed his entire life in economics, especially things for the United States, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And before we let you meet Biden's energy czar, Larry Kudlow weighed in about what the House GOP is doing regarding energy. And going into the commercial break you just heard, I gave you a diatribe about the fact we can't subsidize ourselves. We can't do it unless in our energy policies, fossil fuel energy is key. Here's Kudlow. Okay, so the House Republicans seem to be off to a good start on energy. So now the question is what next? Of course, the Bidens oppose every single thing they do. Let us ask our friend Senator John Hoven of North Dakota, who happens to be a member of the Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee. Mr. Hoven, thank you, sir. So H.R. 21 got through today. So any more SPRO sales? By the way, there shouldn't be any more SPRO sales. But if there were, you'll increase the uh, federal, uh, you'll increase leasing rights on federal lands. Okay, that's good. Uh, I kind of like the um, earlier one, what, a week or two ago, protecting America's strategic petroleum reserve from China. I like that. By the way, that had a lot of bipartisan support. In both cases, sir, there's companion bills in the Senate, and I guess I was going to ask you what the outlook is for it. Right. Well, first off, good to be with you, Larry, and uh, you're, you're right on. Both are good pieces of legislation. We're pleased to see the House advance them, and there are companion bills in the Senate. Cruz has the one that uh, would restrict any uh, sale of oil to China. I think that's got the best chance uh, in the uh, Senate. I mean, how do you vote against it? And uh, so I'm hopeful we can put enough push uh, on our colleagues on the other side to get that to the floor and get it passed. That's got the best shot, I think. But the other one, uh, the other bill that passed today, as you mentioned, it only got one Democrat vote in in the uh, House. So obviously that's a concern. Senator Barrasso has the companion bill in the Senate. He's the ranking member on energy. So I think we'll at least get a chance to have a hearing on it in energy. Can we get it across the floor? I don't know. But like you say, that's a really good one because it requires that if there's any further sales of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, that there has to be a corresponding or greater uh, production domestically here at home. And of course, that's the real solution is more production here at home. And of course, that's what the Bidens continue to oppose, ignoring the election returns. They just will continue to oppose that. That's the fundamental problem in a nutshell, Larry. Uh, No question about it. I mean, oil right now, even though the Biden administration talks about, you know, what they've done to try to bring down oil prices, so on and so forth, it is a dollar higher today than when they came into office. We are producing less than when they came into office. And we're in a situation where the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, as you mentioned, with a $640 million Barrel capacity is down to about 370 million barrels. What happens if we need it now? And price, the oil prices are going back up, $86. Brent crude, $80 a barrel for WTI. That's going back up. That doesn't make it a very good situation for trying to fill it back up now, does it, for the administration to go out and try to buy barrels of oil to put in there? The last proffer that they put out did not get a response, which tells you they're going to have trouble filling it back up. You know, Senator Hoven, uh, with all that, um, two, two quick points. Number one, n- I say this every night when we talk about it. Nowhere 
in the original enabling legislation for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which goes all the way back to the 1970s and the Arab oil mm -hmm. embargo, nowhere does it say, let us have political manipulation of gasoline prices. And the Bidens are now out there, Biden, Granholm, the energy secretary, bragging that the Spro sales brought down gasoline prices. That is not the purpose of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Point number one. Point number two, I have a chart. You can't, nobody can see it. Believe me, I got it from the Department of Energy, okay? The refined petroleum products affect, you know, like 200 products in American economic life. I mean, everything is affected by this. So your point, prices today are still way higher than they were two years ago. And that is damaging the middle class. And that is raising the inflation rate. And that is damaging our economy. And they don't get it. I mean, it, it permeates every, every clothing, uh, operating rooms, okay, pens and pencils, I think. I mean, I could go through a whole list. I will, I'll spare you for it. But there's like 200, class, 200 areas here that are affected by petroleum, and we need more of it. We need more of it. No question about it. It, it is a big driver of inflation, and obviously inflation is still a tremendous problem uh, for everyone across the board, but particularly, Larry, for lower-income people, that's who it hits the hardest. And every product that you can think of has an energy component in it. So again, it goes back to the domestic production, but there's so many other aspects as well. Think about the national security aspect. Think about the jobs and the economic impact as well. So all, you know, all those, and then, and then how about this? No one produces oil and gas in a more environmentally friendly way than where? right here in the United States. So instead we farm it out to OPEC and Russia that has vastly inferior environmental standards. There's nothing about that energy policy that makes sense. Um, Senator Hoven, once upon a time, I'm like reading a fairy tale story. Once upon a time, there was a Senate majority leader, his name was Schumer, who promised a senator from a coal producing state, his name was Joe Manchin, that there would be mm -hmm. a permitting bill. There would be a permitting bill. There would be a bill that provided pipelines. That promise still is unmet. Now, like most fairy tales, um, I don't think, unlike most fairy tales, I don't think this one's going to have a happy ending. I don't see any evidence that the White House or Schumer will permit, pardon the phrase, a permitting bill, a NEPA permitting bill that would open up all these opportunities. What are you hearing? What can you tell us, sir? No, I mean, right now, it looks like what you say is going to, in fact, be the case, which is really unfortunate because we need that permitting reform. I mean, if you really want to bring inflation down, produce more energy at home, you know, lift wages, get more people back to work, all these kind of things. Permitting reform is a huge driver of that process. That was our chances to try to get some permitting reform, to get some of the Senate Democrats to hold the administration up on that. But instead, what happened with, as you're talking about, the infl so-called Inflation Reduction Act, that permitting reform wasn't there. Now, Senator Manchin has a bill but it's not the bill that we need. It, there, there are a number of issues where it just doesn't get the permitting reform done the way it should, whether it's the FERC or some of these other issues. Shelley Moore Capital, senator from also from West Virginia, she has a, a bill that would work and that Republicans will support. 
And if, uh, as you said, uh, uh, Senator Schumer's willing to bring it forward, as he said he would, an actual permitting reform bill, there'll be a lot of uh, Republican support for it, but it's going to have to be something very close, if not the capital version. I, I thought, sir, when I grew up as a child, which was several centuries ago, that fairy tales had happy endings, that Aesop's fables always had happy endings. But this permitting fairy tale does not look to have a happy ending. I'm just editorializing, yeah. Senator Hovind. It's just me. I know you're much younger, and you probably don't believe in fairy tales anymore. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that, but I know when you worked at the White House, I knew when I came up for working on some uh, economic issue, you were always right on time. All right, so we got to go. Senator John Hoban, yes. you're a terrific sport. Thank you, sir. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. So what did we get from that conversation? We got from it that Joe Biden, he absolutely positively will not allow fossil fuel to be used as our principal source of energy going forward. He wants it to be completely obliterated. Now, why is that? I don't even have time to get into all of the reasons for that. We'll do it on another show. But it begins with this. He's just paying those who paid him. It's a quid pro quo operation. Hundreds of millions of dollars from the green energy sycophants have been thrown into the Democrat Party, everybody in it, that will say and commit to do away with fossil fuels. And there literally are idiots out there that believe we can live a life with no fossil fuel energy whatsoever. So I told you you'd meet the new Biden energy guy. When China's largest solar companies were looking at our very costly U.S. tariffs under former President Donald Trump, they turned to an industry veteran named Yigar Shah to lobby on their behalf. Now, Joe Biden is handing that same man hundreds of billions of your dollars, taxpayer dollars, to invest in green energy companies. That prompts concern that the money could benefit, guess who? China. In late 2011, Shaw partnered with three Chinese solar giants, and they formed a coalition for affordable solar energy, which is a nonprofit that mounted an aggressive campaign to kill our tariffs on Chinese solar panels. As the group's president, Shaw said evidence that his Chinese clients accepted illegal subsidies from China was merely part of an anti-China crusade. He also argued that the American consumers couldn't afford solar panels without the cheap Chinese goods, stressing the need for the two nations to work together to solve our planet's energy and environmental crisis. It sounds so benign, doesn't it? Years later, China could again stand to benefit from his work. Biden Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm in March 2021 tapped Shaw to run the department's loan programs office, which is going to flood the China-dominated green energy industry with billions of dollars, your money and mine, and Biden administration's history of supporting Beijing-backed companies 
have China hawks concern that Biden's push this time to usher in a clean energy economy will ultimately benefit America's top adversary. There you go, folks. (laughs) Follow the money. Anytime, anytime you have a question, always look at the money. That's a wrap on Monday's TNN Live show. Thank you for joining us. Steve Baker will be with us tomorrow. You don't want to mess it. Have a great Monday. We'll see you then. Yeah.